Welcome to episode 288 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 288 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm okay, Bevan. How about you? Why are you okay? Just okay. My back. I've blown my back Tell us your story, mate. He comes in, he walks in the house, and he's just been whinging the whole time. What happened? I was taking a, I was helping take a kid's session the other day at a school, doing some, some reaching out to the schools. Oh, nice. Doing the community work. Yep, trying to uh, keep them interested, did a few piggyback races. No, hurt, you? hurt my back a little bit there And I thought, oh, that'll be okay And then yesterday I had a bit of a sneezing attack And boom, pulled some muscles in my back And it is, I'm in agony Your posture's not very good No You should sit more upright yeah, Great start sit up, I heard it again uh, <laughs> You're stuck there so, for the next Great period. start the show How about, oh, how about you, Bevan? I'm all good Let's just okay. talk about sponsors Sponsors uh, uh, I Am Talk uh, proudly, I Am Talk is proudly bought This is a mess I Am Talk is proudly bought to you by Coffeesofhawaii.com um, The best coffee in the world Athlinks.com The best athletes in the world And Extreme Endurance The best Extreme Endurance in the world Okay guys, well this week's show we've got some news We've got a website of the week We've got an interview, who's that with Jumbo? Steve Nichols from Blue 70 So a few weeks ago we talked to the guys at uh, Rolf Prima um, And this week we're talking to Steve just about wetsuit technology The ins and outs of wetsuits and uh, all that sort of stuff I've just had some peanut butter for breakfast Mm-hmm Saw my teeth. Love peanut butter. Ah, oh, same. Can't have it anymore though. Why not? Kids are allergic to peanuts. Why don't you just hide it and have your own? Yeah, but you can't even breathe on them. They come out in hives. You can't breathe no, on seriously, them. Seriously, you can't. Really? Yeah. Wow. If I, if I, if I have any in the house. You're the monster. When yeah. the Hanori come here, I'm going to breathe on you. Yeah. Um, we've also got some questions and answers in the end. Well, last weekend we had the SunSmart Ironman Western Australia race happening, and it looks like it was. Pretty well, it wasn't that close to racing. It was kind of a con- constant stream of athletes coming through, but Timo Brack managed to take it out. It did, and it's reasonably slow times for over there um, because we have seen guys sort of trying to knock on the door of eight hours, and we've seen plenty of girls go under nine hours. Um, the report that I, I read that Jason Shorter said it was uh, the windiest he's ever had over there. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Which is odd because I read, the, I read the start of the article and it said it was a beautiful, calm, clear day, no winds, and then all of a sudden he's, he's saying it's really windy. So I guess that's why it was a bit slower. But Timo Brandt, nice, uh, nice steady day, 49 minutes swim, 4.30 on the bike, and then a 2.48 marathon for 8 hours and 12 minutes. Good solid all-round race, really, yeah. Yeah, mm. um, I'm still sort of wondering why why he would go there. He'll probably be able to accumulate enough points from other races, but maybe he's got some different plans during the year. Um, but is it to do that whole knock it out early thing? Yeah, but you've also got to make money. I mean, there's, there's only twenty five thousand US there. He's he's you know one of the big hitters of our sport. You know, you'd classify him. You know, he's one Ironman Germany, arguably yep. the second biggest race in the world. You would have thought he might have gone somewhere else, but hey, he might just be on a bit of a mission. You know, he did Lanzarote this year, which is the same deal, low prize money, but he wanted to go and do some different races, so maybe that's the reason why he's doing it. What motivates someone to race, John? That's the question. You should go and ask him again. Yep. He's on the extreme endurance, so we've got the connections. Well, there you go. Um, but he had, he did have a little bit of work to do there. He had to beat uh, Clayton Fettel, who was a 25-year-old Aussie. Mm. And um, I don't know much about him, but his name rings a bell for me that he has done um, some short course, and at that age you would assume he, he may come from that background 
round. He had a very strong swim. He swam 45 minutes, which was way in front of everybody else. You know, he had uh, Luke McKenzie was there as well, and he, he put a couple of minutes into Luke McKenzie, and he's one of the better swimmers about, and then he kept the pressure on with a 425 on the bike. So he would have, on Timo, he would have had a about a nine-minute lead going into the run, um, and he said, he said he struggled a bit. You know, he ran a 304, but still hung on for second, and what I'm guessing was probably his first Ironman, and he was only... Uh, Pretty bright future at 25, if he sticks with Ironman. You'd think so, and um, he's just another one of these guys who probably is not good enough to crack it at, at, at the top, top end for um, at the ITU distance, and uh, well, it's, so it's, shift across. It's going to be interesting watching, you know, last week we talked to Andrew Messick from WTC saying, and he was kind of introducing a new point system for age groupers, which will be interesting to see how that goes. But the thing I think is going to be interesting is he was mentioning in that interview that they're trying to find ways to make pros make more money, and they're going to announce something in the next few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see what that is, and if it really does mean more income for our athletes coming through, and for guys like this, young up-and-comers, to actually see a real career path in Ironman. Yeah, and, and also that what they've got at WTC, the battle they're going to have in terms of not just developing the Ironman athletes, but across their whole brand with the 5150s and the half Ironmans, is they're not going to be able to attract the best guys in the world, the best Olympic athletes, because as soon as those athletes start um, veering away from ITU points races, World Championship Series, etc., that's frowned upon by most national federations. Uh, so, you know... If you're getting funded by your national federation, you need to, in most cases, well, this is as far as I know it for, for New Zealand and a lot of countries, your requirement is you go and earn points and you go and do races. Yeah. Your mission is yep. to try to get get the, the best results at world championship level, um, ITU and at Olympic, Commonwealth Games, etc. And if you go off and start doing 5150s, it's okay to do a little bit, but you can't, you know, if you go and commit to that series, it's, it's well, likely you're going to get your funding cut. I'm going to check a couple of scenarios that you hear. Well, let's say, for example, that um, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Let's say, for example, WTC end up making more. You can make more money as an athlete being a WTC athlete, even in Olympic distance. Do you think that would hurt the Olympic athlete? You know, because I know that the Olympic gold medal is to prestige, and you know, you look at a lot of sports, mm. that's the key. But then you look at some sports like tennis, where the Olympic gold medal is just a bit of a waste of time, and. You, you think that if WTC were to create a system where you know athletes could make twice as much in their world than what they would in the WTC, I mean the ITU world, do you think that would actually what would happen there? It would have to be significantly more, I think, to attract a lot of them over um, because that Olympic carrot is a bit like Conan. If you win that, you know, in most countries you're set for life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, I think it would probably take it dig a really big hole out of the the, the second tier athletes. But I, my feeling is the top ones would probably still be gunning for that, that Olympic glory. Second question, I'm just chucking questions at you, yes. John. Um, what if WTC, ITU had a half at the Olympics? Because, you, you know, you always think, well, the Ironman at the Olympics is not going to work. Yep. Whereas I kind of maybe think it could work at the Olympics the way they do the TV coverage. But if they did a half, what do you think would happen to 70.3? It changes things quite a bit because uh, all of a sudden national funding comes into the equation. So uh, you would have, I think, again, you'd have uh, quite a lot of the guys who are doing the ITU distance, the Olympic distance, they would probably shift across to half and you get a lot of the top um, guys that are doing, you know, out independent athletes probably coming into the fray as well because the thing is when you start getting National Federation money, it's like you're getting a, a salary, you know, you can, you, it's yeah. guaranteed earnings. And the guys out there... Especially with the up-and-comers, like sure, yeah. if, you're, if you're top end, you're making your money, but yeah. if you're a young kid trying to make your way through the sport... If you're not getting any funding, it's a pretty hard life. I can assure you, those guys are not earning very much money at all. They're, they're lifestyle athletes. They're not. They're, they're, 
You're trying to be professionals, but the top guys in the world are making good money. The next set down are making a living. The next set down of that, that's just lifestyle. And that, mm-hmm. that's where the bulk of the pro athletes are. So. But I also wonder if they did 70.3 at the Olympics. Would, that would probably draw from the Ironman athlete as well. If you look at, or well, maybe they wouldn't be fast enough. Oh, no, it would draw the likes of Crowley, people like that, you know, the top, top guys. Yeah. Um, but not your sort of second, third tech guys. Uh, I, there, I mean, ITU actually working towards doing something like that, or no. they don't really care? Well, as far as I'm aware, no. I, I'm, the, the More team main, racing and stuff. The main thing they're working towards is getting the team race in yep. there. And uh, it's just, I know you think it's made for TV, but I think. For most people out there, um, half on. I don't think it's made for TV, but I think it's you could make it work in the Olympic environment because you can. It's kind of one of those events you can come and go between. Anyway, Jason Short has come in third, and I'm in uh, Western Australia, and on the girls' side, pretty of things, impressive run, running a two forty nine still at the age of forty one. So he's still cranking it. Yep. Yeah, he is still cranking, isn't he? He's always been an awesome runner, but on the girls' side of things... Hold on, no, you're jumping ahead of me. I've got a couple of other things to say on the guys. Oh, okay. Mitch, if you, we asked last week about Mitchell Anderson. Raced um, as a pro. He raced as a pro. And the other one I want to... It was quite a strong field down there. You know, you've got Mike Twelsick and uh, Luke McKenzie, Leon Griffin. Um, but Alistair Knox was the first age grouper. and th- He was 35, 39. I used to coach him many years ago. And he did 9.04, and he'll be a bit disappointed because he's always been on that quest to go and sub nine hours. He did 9.04, and we met him in Kona. He's a guy that lives in... Uh, on Maui. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And also, we, um, someone sent through an email saying, Courtney Ogden, legend, blew out, ended up walking pretty much the whole run, but he stuck at it because it was a local race and was out there with the age groupers to the end. So yeah, I think he was a defending champion. Or he was, yeah, he was. He won yeah. last year, so it was pretty awesome. He was a nice guy. We met him in Kona as well, so he was a cool guy. Um, woman side of thing. We've got another Kiwi Ironman champion. Oh, really? Yep. So Michelle Bremer took it out uh, after crushing everybody on the bike. Um, so very impressive. I've never heard of her before. She may be a Kiwi living in Australia, but I haven't heard of her. Hey, we'll claim um, so it. We do that in New Zealand. <laughs> and that's what the Aussies do as well. They claim the Kiwis. Um, so fantastic effort. She swam 58 minutes. She biked 5 hours and 37 seconds and ran 3.22 for a 9.25. Pretty close racing. Um, she was getting run down by... Michelle Mitchell, uh, who did 9.28, and then Carrie Lester was third in 9.32. Hill- good old Hillary was down there in uh, fifth place, so fairly close racing, 14 minutes covering the top five. Um, I would say that, you know, 9.25 on that course, you know, we've seen the likes of Gina Ferguson yeah, go sub-9 sub nine. Sub nine yeah. there. Um, so it sounded like a tougher day, but still... Um, a lot slower. A lot slower. Yeah. Okay, so. we also had the Timex 2.26, which we haven't got the results for. I am Puta. And then the HITS triathlon, the first in their series of races, and there was some controversy around it. They got a little bit of negative feedback around the swim on uh, Slow Twitch. I did read it. It's one of those things. It's usually the people that complain are going to be first up there. Not many people often go on forums and stuff and say, fantastic, well done. So just the feedback that we we saw was um, just a a lot of the little things in terms of... um, Putting cones out and stuff like that was not quite up to scratch. So, yeah, it sounded as though their focus was on like the, the experience, so like big screen TVs and all that was really good. Mm. And then some of the smaller things, mm. like apparently, it, but it, this, the feedback on this one was that they really didn't have enough helpers, and it was a little bit scary because it was such a new participant event. Mm. And so they definitely will shut on that, I'm sure. So it sounds like the venues they're picking are fantastic. Um, for for this one, they said a lot of the feedback was it was a great venue. The next venue they've got is fantastic. So they get, they just need to. They need to get it right and very, very quickly. Otherwise, uh, people will get turned off. But it's got a lot of potential, I think. Yeah, totally. And uh, just in the iron distance race there, John Severin took it out in a time of 9.57. So. 9.57, and he had a pretty crushing victory. And then Deborah Batagoyli took yep. it out in a time of 12.01. Yeah, he took it out. He won by an hour. Nice. It's dominant. If you win by an hour, you're yeah. dominated the dojo. 
You go home, have a cup of coffee, have a shower, have a massage, come back and watch the second place. If you were commentating that race, it'd be quite hard to keep it exciting. It would be. He's got a 60 minute lead. I think he might just (laughs) hang on. Okay, then, so what else happened here, John? We had the 70.3 Asia Pacific champs on at the weekend. Um, Apparently, it just bucketed with oh, rain. Really? It was over in Phuket and when you go to Asia and, um, and in the sort of tropical places as we know, when it rains in those places man, it just seriously buckets down apparently it just tipped it down on the bike. Well, well Michael Rayla really showed his, his class, didn't he? You it, know? It, it, from the report I read, it sounded like they sort of ended up biking together, and I've been in that situation before when the weather conditions are so bad, you just sort of bike along looking at each other going, this is just madness. Yeah. But then he got off the bike and just crushed the Ran all. a 1.11. Mm. Wow, he ended up winning by over six minutes. From Richie Cunningham. One, two, three, three four, four, happy days. days. And then uh, Paul Amy, Paul Matthews in third, but... Really, Ray Lute dominated Dojo. He won by six minutes, and then it was pretty much a, you know seconds, but not seconds, but about a minute in between each athlete after that. So yeah, again, um, it was Asia Pacific champs and pretty solid field. You know, you got Maddie Reed down there in about eighth place. You've got David Dallow. Um, so good stuff. The girls side of things, um, unsurprisingly, Melissa Rollinson crushed everybody. Crushed. Um, she uh, had a good good swim, twenty seven minutes, not too far off the main contenders. Um, biked well, two twenty six, and ran a one nineteen. The next fastest run split that I can see in the top five was a one twenty six. So she put seven minutes into the field. She won by thirteen minutes over the legendary Natasha Badman. It's great to see Badman still racing, eh? Yeah. yeah, like it's really cool to see you get back into it. You know, it's been she kind of went out of the light for a while, didn't she? Well, she had those crashes in Kona and uh, and nuked herself, so she's certainly not the athlete that she was. But she's one of the ones where we sort of talk about, oh, great to see her back. But she is one of the absolute true legends. Of uh, yeah. Ironman racing, you know, I think she got six wins, six, six wins in Kona. Yeah, that is. It's, it's like, funny because she doesn't go. You don't hear the hype around her, do you? No, it's fascinating, it's because, isn't it? It's because she's probably not Europe, uh, American based, um, yep. and and probably you know probably in Switzerland she's probably a, a legend, and in Germany and stuff she's probably even more of a legend. So it's interesting discussion happening over in the UK right now. So over in the UK they have the sports awards and they have the top ten athlete performance mm-hmm. for sportsman of the year. No females, so it's very controversial right now over there because. Just because, but Christy Wellington is one of the names that has been coming out, so it's good to see. And, and to be honest, I was listening to Fighting Talk, which is the podcast I like to listen to. It's just kind of a comedic sports show. But they um, were talking about how you know not many people would have heard of Christy Wellington because of this controversy beforehand. But it's actually been really good for her profile. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see Christy, although probably more from a negative way, to actually get some more PR around what she's doing because hopefully she's, that can she's lead to more. all females to boycott it. <clears throat> is she? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. It. <laughs> um, it, does. it does seem a bit wrong, doesn't it? Well, it, it, I don't give it. It, it does. It, it is wrong. I mean, it's just like you see some of the other names up there, and you go, "Well, you didn't win anything." Yeah, you're like Andy and, Murray. And I'm not saying that Christie should be on the list um, because we, we, to be honest, we are a tiny little minority sport. But it just seems a bit dumb when you've got people up there that haven't won anything, yeah. um, and then you've got other females or other males potentially. I'm sure there's other males that could should be should be on the list. It just doesn't seem. But those things are like that. It's just yeah, you go for the popular. It's sports. just opinion, John. It's just opinion. Okay, other news. Iron Man career has been cancelled. Now I tried to do some IPs on this, but I couldn't really find out what was happening. Nor could I. It's all been hush hush. Yeah. So, but is it is it the event was meant to go when and when was it cancelled? Right, that's what I couldn't find. But Iron Man career is not happening. You go to either Iron Man. But when, when does it normally run? Um, I don't know. That's why there's no information out there. You go to the WTC website, there's nothing there. Because the thing is, if they're going to cancel events, all good. You know, cancel them, you know, post the last race. Yeah. But you've got to cancel them three months beforehand. It's a bit poor form. So it would have been the middle of next year. So So maybe it's early enough. But, um, yeah, Yeah, because there's no information out there on it. No information, no justification of why... 
Yeah. So like, it's been an event that's struggled, and yes. it's been an event that's had you know bad weather conditions. They've had to pull the swarm out, and so mm. you know, understandable. Maybe you know they look at the calendar and go, you know what, this one's just not working. Let's get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of oh yeah, we're getting rid of that race. Yeah. But I guess the one thing, the big comment is it doesn't really leave any racing in Asia. Um, As an Ironman race, yeah. I mean, I looked onto the Ironman um, calendar, and there's there's nothing because China's year, gone. Yeah, China's gone. Um, there may still be a seventy point three there. I'm not quite sure. I didn't look like that. No, when they took away China, they took away the seventy point three yeah. at the same um, time. Japan, I'm not not quite sure what's going on there. I think um, because of all the yeah. earthquake stuff that didn't happen this year. So it really, a lot of people think oh, Asia is the emerging market, but you need those local yeah. reliable contacts. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity for other races to be put on in Asia um, because there is quite a big triathlon community over there. It might not sell out in five minutes, but in Japan in particular. And there's a lot of athletes over there, so uh, let's just watch that space challenge. Get onto it. Get onto it. Get onto it. Okay, John. Well, the Ironman World Championship is going to be on NPC on Saturday, the 10th of December, 2011, from 4:30 through to 6:30 p.m. And obviously, that's in America and it's Eastern Standard Time. But they've actually got a link on their website now. If you go to the YouTube channel, Ironman, um, and YouTube.com/slash Ironman Triathlon, they have the the trailer, John. Yeah, the trailer for the event. Nice. So I'm sure somebody will uh, copy the NBC coverage and get it up on YouTube for a couple of days. So yeah. if you, you want to see it, get it keep, keep checking YouTube really regularly after Saturday the 10th and uh, it might be up there for a day or two. Okay. Um, I'll put a link to that in our show notes. What else is happening, John? We've got an email in from David Nan Chambers telling us about a new iron distance race that's going to be in Asia. It's going to be on uh, Bintan Island in Indonesia. Um, the website is Meta metamanbintan.com um, hasn't got heaps and heaps of information up there um, but I have a guy that I coach in uh, Singapore and he goes over there to train a bit and I sort of said what's it going to be like and he said swim should be good, bike should you know, have, be quite nice, bit of variation there um, and then but the run is going to be absolutely stinking hot he said the whole race is going to be really really hot well, Singapore um, isn't it? Yeah but, but apparently the, the guys that organise this race put on a really good show, um, do some it's other races too, as isn't well it? oh yeah it'll be tough tough day yeah. but that's what racing in Asia is all about so if you want to go check that out another iron distance race coming your way speaking of awards John Challenge Wanaka has won the race of the year award that would be Challenge Rote oh Challenge Rote sorry has won the race of the year award and it's a it's a Europe triathlete magazine called how's that one John Zeitschrift triathlon and it's a bit of a voter thing so these, these things are always a bit of a have but um, it's one race of the year for the first time in five years knocking off Kona so it got 52% of the vote over 24 of Kona and uh, so good nice work right on challenge um, and that's about it let's talk about some sponsors John so Coffees of Why. It's the season of giving, so you can get on there and get your gift, gifts, get your uh, you get your coffee tins, fantastic gift, get your gift cards. The other thing with Coffees Away that they've just got out that I was on their Facebook page and they got, and they now have their Alcoa wood measuring spoons are back in stock. The perfect holiday gift to accompany a bag. Nice. So if you, uh, for those people that have got the nice fancy coffee machines and stuff, and you've got a you know people have them cup. nowadays, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I remember when my mum bought a coffee machine a few years ago. It was a little but crappy yeah. but nowadays uh, they're pretty classy aren't they mm. do you know what I was watching I was actually watching a coffee ad the other day for one of those machines what, what would be a coffee making machine Seiko ok well see you're class mate yeah. and you know what they, they definitely portray that coffee drinkers are sophisticated mm-hmm. they were like these smart young looking people dressed mm-hmm. well it was all class there was no kind of you know crappy stuff no no so if, you, if you're trying to if, if, even if you're not that smart 
Just get, get some get, coffee at your house. And just get all the uh, the essential items. That's right. If you pull out the, the, your measuring, the measuring spoon. spoon. They've got the Bodum coffee presses on there. They've got oh. the Coffees Away logo. You can put your Coffees Away cap on while at the same time and go, Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a kick-ass barista here. You just look out. <laughs> and whilst, whilst it all, so go onto the Facebook page. Give Coffees Away a little bit of love. If you, if you drink the coffee, get on there. Give them a good plug. And uh, as I saw, Pete Hagen, we met him in Kona. Yeah, he was lovely. Uh, his cyclops, wife. And cyclops or, or Triclops, I think we call yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, we did too, yep. Um, and he's posted up there on Coffees of Hawaii. I love my Coffees of Hawaii coffee this morning. This stuff should be illegal. I think he's even taking the photo from his bed. That's sensational. Look at that. It's his bed there. Is it? I reckon he's sitting on the bed with the pillow behind him. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, How do you take that photo? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Do you do one hand like this and... It's a pretty good photo. Well done. If you want to check that out, guys, go to the Coffees of Hawaii Facebook page and like it, and you'll get to see Pete Hagen. So remember, getting your coffee, use code IAMTALK, or if you want all the other codes, go to um, IAMTALK.me, click on the Coffees of Hawaii logo, and it's got all our codes. Just, just one thing I've been talking a lot about lately is it is gifting time of the year, great gift ideas, and also if you have a business that's looking at gifting for business clients or something like that, check out the Coffees of Hawaii business gifting page because they've got some really cool deals here that can, you know, give something a little bit different for this Christmas period other than towels. Okay, Joe, guys. Well, last week in this week's discussion of the week, we talked about uh, the ideas for Thorsten. Now, Thorsten is a legend. He's our statistician. Statistician, yes. Yes. Statistician. <laughs> and, uh, and he basically said to us, well, we're going to do an end of the year show. What does he want us to do some peas on? What does he want us to do the research on? And he came back. A few people jumped out of the blocks and started giving these ideas, but a lot of the stuff does need to be pro-related because he doesn't have all the stats for, for age groupers because that would just be a monumental task. It wouldn't be so bad if you had them all easily available to you in the right form, but he'd have to go through race after race after race and sort of extract all the data. So it was really looking more at the um, the pros, but Michael Bayerts, um said weight and height impact on performance in hot races. Again, that might be a bit tricky because you're probably not going to have that data easily available, but uh, be nice to know. Uh, okay, you keep going because I'm still pulling Joshua Crabb. Can Crow defend either of his titles or will he be too old, statistically speaking? I would say next year that uh, if he wins, he's probably going to be the oldest um, winner of Kona because I'd imagine he might end up being a bit older than Maka by that stage. Certainly he wasn't older this year, but I think they're very similar in age. So Maka holds that record. And uh, so I think statistically he would be the oldest and I would say statistically he's probably got a pretty good chance of winning. Yeah. You, you keep, I can't even find it, John. Where, where uh, do we do this discussion? I don't know. It's What's on happening Facebook on the page? Okay. Gary Fegan, based on current improvements, when will the women become faster than the men? Oh. And I would say statistically, it's probably not going to happen. But well, it depends on, on when the drugs get better. Yeah, you know, if, the girl, if the girls get the drugs, the guys. Oh, get we haven't talked about the drug. Okay, we, we can go on to that. Yeah, we yeah. Did, that, was, that was probably the big news of the week, John. How did we miss that? <laughs> yeah, you didn't do your bees. Yeah. You did. I just, did as oh, I remind we'll go, we'll you. We'll go into that. Um, Thorsten posted on there, thanks for your ideas so far. Definitely some interesting things. Please keep in mind that most of the data is limited to professionals, so I'm somewhat limited by the amount of insight into age group data, at least for now. Please keep the ideas coming. And then Mark... Nice um, to see a photo of Thorsten. I like it when I get to see the faces of you guys. Yes. Well, uh, Mark, friendly smile. Mark, Mark Moss, which countries produce the fastest split between disciplines? John, what do you want to know? Um, well, he's already given me my things that I want to know what we're going to do on our end of year show, and that was uh, how much prize money um, athletes are actually earning, and he's he's compiled that out excluding Kona. Uh, that was probably the the main one that I wanted to know, really. 
What about you, Bevan? Um, I haven't really thought about it, John, but I'll okay. think about it right now as we talk about Michael Weiss getting two-year ban for being drugs. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. So people need to, if they, if they really want to know the, the guts of this, is, is, there is a little bit of information out there, but it doesn't actually relate to his, as far as I understand, it doesn't relate to his triathlon career. It was actually goes back to his mountain biking career. And a comment that I saw today that he put out there on uh, just a bit of a statement was saying that he'd been cleared by his one of his national federations and then cleared by some other authority, like a judge or something, and then, but this other authority said, no, you're still going to get a ban. Um, but I guess the, the one interesting last comment that he wrote on his post, and he, he, he claims his innocence was that he doesn't have the time or the money to actually fight this. And I guess, um, yes, we, if he's guilty, you know, we come down on him with a bloody tonne of bricks. And tonne so, of bricks, John. You know, it's, uh, it's not on. But I guess what you've got to factor in there is um, these guys aren't earning great money. And when we talk to Spencer Smith, you know, it cost him 100000 US to, to clear his name when he was innocent. So, you know... You'd have to if he's been found guilty. You've got to say, "Well, you're guilty." Um, but it's a hard one, if, isn't if it? Because it's also that's an easy way out. Say, "Oh, you know, well, shit, we make no money." Yeah, you, and you can't if you can't afford to defend yourself. I don't know. You know, it's, um, it's a hard know, situation. It's, it's, it's tricky. Um, and and when when guys proclaim their innocence, I mean, what the hell are we supposed to believe these days? You know, well, everyone. Not many people go out and go, "Oh, yeah, it was me." Yeah. Everyone proclaims their innocence. Yes, well, majority do. Not not everyone, but the majority do. Um, and then you know you, they go on and on about it, and you just don't know what to believe these days. It's bloody impossible. It's impossible. And, and there is some, you know, we we know the science sometimes gets it wrong, and um, so it's it's hard. So yes, he has. But he's basically got a two year ban. Uh, he says he's going to come back to triathlon after that, but it does relate to his. Um, his mountain biking career, not his triathlon career. So he hasn't tested positive in his uh, in his triathlon career, as far as I'm aware. Bevan, you've done fantastically well on the hot topic of this week. You've had zero contribution. Well, John, I'm going to talk about next week's hot topic. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to contribute. So next week we're going to talk about, because we've started a Legends of Triathlon show and we've had heaps of downloads, which is really great. So if you had any chance to look at, check it out, go to legendsoftriathlon.com and go to the website. And it's there. We interviewed Spencer Smith and we've had so much good feedback. We've got emails from you guys telling us how much you love the show. So it's really great. Do us a favour. Put it on your Facebook. Put it on your Twitter. Just put it on in your forums. Just let people know what you know that the show's out there and it's a pretty cool interview we really want to make sure it's a pretty wicked show can we announce who's on next night's show yes Erin Baker is going to be our next guest I think she'll be a really yeah. good interview um, she was never shy was she no. about her opinion no and and she was she was there like if we look at the different eras you know Spencer Smith was um, mid 90s sort of era yep. and she's um, basically like the big four era you know more sort of through the 80s and into the 90s she was sort of pretty much done and dusted by about 93, 94 from memory because she didn't race the world champs in Wellington in 94 and I think the year before she might have done a race so around about that sort of time but uh, she was one of those people that came into the sport when it was not professional so she really did, it was doing it for the love, love of it, yeah. the, just wanting to do the sport and be be world class at something um, and then the professional side of things sort of started to come into it so it should be really interesting. Okay, very good. Well, uh, so yeah, we want an outro for Legends of Triathlon. That's this week's discussion. An intro and an outro. An intro and an outro. Okay, so we want an intro and an outro. And now the Mountain Snail actually sent me one, which I it thought did. was very yes. good. Yes, yeah, it, was, it was. Yes, but Mountain Snail put it on our Facebook page. Yes. So, you know, like our outro, what we're talking about there is when we're at the end of uh, Iron Talk, we go, Iron Russ, Simon, don't train hard, train smart, care, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we want we don't say like blah, blah. That. We don't say that. We no. sometimes do. Um, no, we don't. Uh, so we want that. <laughs> And then an intro, so you know, with with uh, I am talk, Bevan goes, "Welcome to episode yep. blah 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 of 
I am talk, so we want a little, little intro as well. A blurb. Okay, John, let's talk about extreme endurance. So I, th- I thought I'd just pull up a few of the uh, the pro athletes that they're currently supporting because uh, they're doing extremely well. And the thing with supplements, I guess, is um, it's all good and well a company coming to you and saying, right, I'm going to pay you $5 million to endorse our product. But these guys have got to, um, you would have to assume they're all taking the product and then they certainly believe in it. And most of them are performing exceptionally well. You know, Timo Bracht, uh, he... One at the weekend, we've had Helene Bedevart. She's been top 10 in Kona, coming through with some storming runs. Um, you've yeah. got Yvonne Van Vlerken. We talked to her about it. She actually takes it in races as well as actually in training, so during the Ironman race. Tamsin Lewis, Dr. Tamsin Lewis, met her over in, uh, when we were on Epic Camp, and she's had some fantastic results. And, and she's a doctor, and she's like one of those people who actually kind of does the research. Yeah. And, and, Not like us. And, and trial, <laughs> test it, and, uh, and, and are happy to put their name to a product um, that they actually use and believe in. Mark so, Miller. Mark Miller, and he's—I think he's a he's race car driver. Race car driver. Things. <laughs> and uh, that's the thing for them—they got so much scope, haven't they? You know, and what, and what, you know, they're focused on triathlon at this point in time, but their product has so much scope in sport, doesn't oh, it? Oh yeah, totally. So be like the top pros and uh, and get yourself improve your Be like the top pros. Yeah, be like <laughs> Timo. Go out there and crush everybody and back up races time after time. Where did Timo get kind of fifth? Was it? Um, I don't recall. I seen, yeah, no, I don't recall. Uh, don't recall. He was at the press conference, wasn't he? The after after yeah. us? No. Oh, who was that then? Who was the guy who got fifth? Don't know. Why don't you look, why don't you jump online and have a look? Uh, I'm coming online this morning, John. Okay. <laughs> so it's hard. So I can't see the city. Our view's gone. If you want to get your extreme cloudy endurance, and cold outside. Yeah. Get on there, use the code I am talk. Um, if you want to get the recurring delivery, uh, automatic delivery, I think it's ADIM talk. If you've ever got any issues when you're going through the order process, just uh, <laughs> just email them and, uh, and they'll sort it out. They'd always respond really quickly to things. Okay, then let's put on some music, John. We're going to run out of power, we've got an issue. Interview. Interview was Steve, Steve Nichols from Blue 70. So um, obviously it's a fantastic plug for Blue 70, uh, loving their suits. Um, but also one of the things that we wanted to try to do, well, I'm, I'm sort of looking to do over the next um, sort of period is actually try to do a bit more f- interviews around um, product development. And obviously we've got the contacts with our own sponsors. So we've done um, Rolf Prima, we've done Blue 70, and we'll probably look at doing a few other sort of geeky tech, tech type ones. We should get the guy on from Triathlete Mag who we were talking yep. to, I can't remember his name, but he was, he was a nice guy. When we, we did a photo shoot with Triathlete Mag, well, they took a photo of us. Photo shoot took five hours. Yeah. We were more of an afterthought, but yeah. um, they had Crowy shoes and then us. Yeah. And then, um, but I'm thinking he was a real nice guy and he's the guy who does all their tech stuff. And so we should mm-hmm. get him on at some stage because he's you know, someone to geek out with. But anyway, here's Steve Nichols from Blue 70. So we now have one of the men behind the fastest wetsuits in the world. The uh, Blue fastest Se- wetsuits in the world, John, that's what they are. I'm telling you they are. So a man from Blue 70, Steve Nichols, on the show. Welcome along, Steve. Yeah, morning, guys. Hey, Steve, uh, one, we're going to talk a bit about wetsuits, obviously. And, and I don't know much about Steve Nichols. Steve Nichols, the man from Blue 70, what, what kind of man is he? Is he the man who started Blue 70s? Or? We used to lay a bit of smackdown in racing. We used to have a couple of battles with Steve. <coughs> I remember one in particular down the half Ironman in, uh, in Queenstown. So good, yep. solid athlete. Who, who took it out? Well. 
I DNF'd. I, I was uh, oh, weak excuse. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but no, good athlete and uh, based up in Napier. And that's that's what the first question was going to be was, you know, and out of New Zealand for most people around the world they will have heard of Blue Seventy, obviously one of the leading companies, and also will have heard of Orca as well. But mm-hmm. Steve, do you want to tell us how and how we out of New Zealand we we ended up with you know two of probably arguably the two leading wetsuit companies in the world, both being based out of New Zealand. Yeah, I um, I guess the climate here suits itself to, to wetsuits, so I guess it's um, what is it? Necessity is the mother of all inventions, so um, that probably occurred uh, to a point that way. But um, yeah, Blue Seventy obviously started out almost twenty years ago now as um, as Ironman wetsuits. We were the first non-USA-based licensee of the Ironman brand name, and um, just just happened to be a couple of people who were who were making products at the same place as someone who was testing out a wetsuit. A fellow by the name of Rick Wells was tr- testing out a wetsuit, I think, at, uh, at a manufacturer in New Zealand. And they um, they took that on behalf of the uh, manufacturer and themselves overseas to a trade show, got a lot of interest in it. It's one of the very first first-sleeve suits that was released into the market. And, um, yeah, while they were away, so much interest, they um, they wandered around the booth and signed up basically a, a licensee deal with Ironman and... Uh, yeah, grew from there. So way back in the probably late '80s, early '90s, and and then just kept on growing through to a probably early 2000, and that's when I, I, I actually applied for sponsorship when I was racing, and uh, and that was my so my first job was um, carrying boxes around the warehouse, cleaning up. They, they offered me some part-time work, and uh, yeah, ten years later, I'm I'm doing a, a lot of the product stuff now, heading up the product uh, development um, program here. So. Just looking back at it as a bit of a history here, you know, like wetsuits. I remember seeing photos of Melina doing an Ironman, and I think Auckland Ironman, and mm-hmm. and you know, wearing a pretty tragic looking wetsuit. You know, for a long time in triathlon, the wetsuits were pretty poor, weren't they? Yeah, I think that triathlon's a very new sport, and you know, people might say, "Oh, it's been around for twenty five years," but that, that's really new, and there's not a lot of history. And and as even though there's a lot of sports science data that's been generically appropriated into triathlon, I don't think there's a lot of R and D necessarily that's come across in, in technology. And and I, I guess that's the same in some in, in a lot of industries. There's not, you know, there's there's a lot of things that are created from marketing hype. And and I would have thought, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, those first wetsuits, it was kind of like everyone was looking at something that was different and they were definitely different and, and that's probably where a lot of the people that perception that arms slow you down or arms make you tired came from because the rubber technology just was so poor that um, you know I've, I've still got suits from 97 on the rack here and you could still go and, and use one but you, you wouldn't want to but they've lasted 15 years so you know people sort of say oh the wetsuits don't last as long as they used to it's like no but they, they're fantastic to swim in because it's, the rubber's just so light and so flexible that uh, you, you can wear in you know, long sleeve suits, you can get that flexibility. But yeah, back in the day, they were pretty. Um, there's nothing wrong with uh, with how they were made, and you know, but uh, or, or necessarily how they were designed. But I, I think it was a, a case of limited by the inputs and limited, probably a little bit by how much time and, and effort they had for sort of research and development and those sort of things. Mm. So um, obviously, when people are looking at wetsuits, um, there's different grades you can go for across all different brands. You know, you've got your entry-level one, and then you, for Blue 70, you've got the, the Helix at the top end. Um, what, in general, are people getting when they – or what are the advantages in terms of spending more money um, and going for the top-level one versus sort of the, the lower-level um, suit? That's a good question. A lot of people 
sort of say I'm not a good swimmer, so I shouldn't buy a, a better wetsuit. I guess that's sort of um, some of the, the the discussion about whether or not you should buy race wheels on a bike if you're not a good cyclist. But um, the wetsuits tend to get more buoyant the more expensive you you, you spend in, in general, and they also tend to get more flexible the the more expensive the, the suit. So you get a more comfortable suit or, or less resistance in the arm, so less fatiguing. Or you get um, a suit, or, and you get a suit that has more buoyancy. And at the end of the day, if you're sitting higher in the water, then you've got less less drag. And regardless of whether or not you're an Olympic swimmer or a, a Joe Schmo, more buoyancy is going to make you faster. It'll make a bigger difference to to a, a lower level swimmer. So it's actually reverse. The better swimmers can get away with anything. The worst swimmers should be going for the most expensive suit they can get because it'll give them more buoyancy, which will make a bigger time junk saving to their their swim time. In, in terms of arms, um, because as you said earlier, um, I know when I first started, we we had just sleeveless wetsuits, um, largely mm-hmm. because, as you said, the the quality and the the range of movement through the shoulders was pretty poor. Um, we're looking at you know arms is going to give you just a little bit of added buoyancy still, and going to um, going to mean you're going faster through the water. Yeah, there's a bit of. Um, I know we've done a little bit of testing on this with. Um, um, one of the things that we've found with researching with some of the national high performance squads for triathlon is that the stroke turnover changes with the wetsuit on, um, and we're not 100 percent sure whether that's coming from the altered um, buoyancy and body position, which is changing um, stroke mechanics, or whether it's because of restriction in the arms. So we've been looking at doing some research with long john suits to change um, stroke rates and stroke mechanics and seeing if there's a difference for suits to, to long johns without telling the athletes that. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, you don't no, want no, them to sure. go, oh, no, I'm going to change my mechanics. No, ah. Sure, course, athletes listen to this anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so, well, especially for them because they're, they're rating. It's, it's coming to Ironman now as well. The stroke ratings are so important with the difference in, um, in making the pack or not and the accelerations, especially over, over a half. You know, you miss the bunch now. And, and I, I describe bunch loosely than you did in the water. And um, so, yeah, it, there's a little degree of, of, of that, of, of changing movement and, and, and some of the buoyancy. Our arms are one millimeter, so the, the buoyancy is pretty much irrelevant in a, in a helix. But um, the, other, the other aspect is the flow of the water over the body and, and the entry of water to the suit. Obviously, with a, a wrist, you've got pretty small um, water entry area and the um, long joint you've got a really large gusset with a bit of a lip mm-hmm. and so um, and so the full suit reduces the drag a little bit more um, as well so you know it does come down to personal preference a little bit um, I haven't got any conclusive data to say that stroke rate is affected negatively in a full suit versus a long john some of the studies we've done have shown people are faster in a full suit but then I know um, I know uh, your good friends Mr. Molina and uh, Mr. Byrne have um done um, some long john um, full suit trials and they came out pretty similar as well so it does come down a little bit to how well the the long john fits and and the style of swimmer you are as well your top end product your helix has been kind of you know it changes every kind of year and moves forward over the last five years a lot's happened why why the changes what you know what has been the direction of the helix moving forward and why has it been so important well i think um changes come from material changes what's available in the market and what you can you can find to to improve the suit um there's definitely 
I mean, you always want to make your product better. I, I, I'm never very happy with the product when it gets to the market. By the time it gets to the market, you've already got further down the track with where you want the product to be. And so you're always like, oh, I wish it was there. Yeah. So you sort of um, never quite have it right. Um, so you're always trying to improve on something or change the fit or look at a different fastening system or um, you might find a new rubber material. I mean, there's all of this hype about um, um, Yamamoto 40 cell being super flexible. You know, people are using that in the whole suit in some suits and, and reducing the thickness of the suit to make it more flexible which the argument against that is that it negates some of the buoyancy advantage of the suit 40 cells more dense than 39 cells so it's less buoyant um, but so playing around with different combinations we've had a university study going at the moment as well on um, drag mechanics and swim trying to incorporate some of that and, and trying to incorporate some of the things we've learned from the guys that are swimming super quick in the pool and, and over those FINA 10Ks where, where buoyancy is not allowed, but a lot of them are, we're, we're learning stuff from, from the drag mechanics from there as well that we're trying to bring across the wetsuits. So uh, there's lots of different drivers. I guess you always sort of sit down and say, well, how can we make it more buoyant? How can we make it more comfortable? And if we can do both of those things, it'll be faster. So what inputs can we change? And, and obviously an area which you guys are developing a lot at the moment is sort of through your speed suits and getting into the world of swimming um, in, in a big way and, and also for the, for the non-wetsuit um, triathons, Ironmans, whatever. Um, a lot of people aren't really aware of the, the rules around this um, and, and I know it's a bit confusing because it changes from um, who sanctions what different races. So have you, what, with ITU, what's the, the deal with ITU, especially with the short course, because there's some um, fairly stringent rules that some people might not really be aware of. So can you run, run us through the ITU rules? Well, ITU is really difficult because there's so many different, there's different rulings within ITU as well. Oh, really? Because um, you've got elite under 23 and junior, which have a different tier than age groupers. Yeah. So, and, and that same applies to some of the triathlon apparel. So you kind of say, oh, it's, you know, if you're an elite, it also differs by the length of the swim as well. Like an elite athlete, you've got 20 degrees Celsius. Sorry for all of the people who use Fahrenheit. Um, mm. 20 degrees Celsius is the uh, cutoff for, for, for 1,500 meters, but for the age group guys, it's 22. Um, so it's a little bit different, you know, as for the different athletes. I, I'm not I'm interested sure why the thinnest, um, smallest athletes in the field <laughs> a lower temperature cutoff, but there you go. And then it changes as you go up in distance. Once you get to 3,000, 4,000 meters for ITU elites, it's 22 degrees. Yeah. For the age groupers, it's 23, 24 degrees. Um, Wets is a mandatory below 14 degrees pretty much for the fields. So yeah, it's a little bit different age group to, to elite. And, uh, but basically with the, if you're to race in an ITU race and you want to wear a suit over, uh, over the top of your tri-suit, that's generally not allowed, is it? You basically have to wear what you were in the swim throughout the race. Yeah, so in ITU race, the rules state that anything that is removed after the swim is basically classified as a wetsuit. Yeah. So if you take something off, it becomes a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we have an elite tri-suit and basically that's what I would, would recommend people wear for, for an ITU race. It's, it's essentially... Um, a version of our swim skin with a, 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 chamois, a chamois pad in it, a really lightweight chamois pad. So. And just to confuse matters, when you go to WTC, it's totally different. Um, and obviously in, in Kona, you know, people are wearing um, suits over the top of their race gear. So mm-hmm. what are the sort of the rulings around WTC? Obviously they'll have different um, temperature sort of... Uh, 
upgrades, but um, firstly, what can you do? And also, you know, if we look back a few years ago when you first brought out the point zero three, um, it's changed since then again as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess the, the driver, a lot of this was um, in 2006, I think, we, we made 16.03s um, and trialled them with sponsored athletes and one of the athletes who used them was Norman Stadler who had a, a PB swim and, and then won by about the difference of his swim. So um, the next year I think we had three or 400 in the field and the following year was six or 800. So it, it just sort of spiralled. And, and after that race we, we had the suit approved from FINA as a 10K suit for the 10K series. It was a crossover to open water and then modified the suit for the pool and had that approved in the pool. And then around about the same time as that, like this was early 2008, Speedo had their LZR suit approved and then athletes started breaking records left, right and centre. And some of it was obviously the performance of the suit. Um, a lot of people said, oh, the suits are more buoyant because people are sitting higher in the water, but the suits aren't, are not buoyant. We, we tested them for buoyancy, and that was one of the criteria that FINA tested for. Um, but they were reducing drag, and, and obviously you get in a lower drag, you get in a better body position, and that's what people felt. They felt higher in the water because they were basically being sucked into a better position. And so then FINA saw all these world records and went, it's okay, it, it's exciting for the sport, we won't do anything head in the sand, and then Basically, a year later, it blew up in their face, and so they had to change all the rules. And so they changed their rules, and then ITU's rules were whatever FINA's rules were, so they changed their rules. And then WTC went, well, we've got to change our rules then, but we're not going to follow FINA's rules. We're going to make our own change in the rules as well. So you, you had three different organizing bodies that changed rules at three different times for, th- yeah, for essentially the same thing, which is open water swimming. So, um, so now you've got FINA rules, which are different for open water to pool. You've got ITU rules, which are specific for ITU and are different by distance and age group. And then you've got WTC rules, which are for WTC events where the wetsuit rating is up to 24.5 degrees. And then they have swim skins that are allowed to be worn over the top of um, that, um, over the top of garments. WTC's rules, and there's a, there's a good table on our, on our website that sort of goes through all of this. If you go to um, blue70.com, customer service, it says confused by swimskin rulings, what's legal chart? Because we were basically getting these questions all the time. But WTC rules are basically that you're allowed a swimskin, but it, it must be a textile. Um, that They don't necessarily have a specific objective test. FINA's test protocol is, is a lot more stringent now than, than it ever has been. Um, although there are still some very subjective um, comments made, like uh, uh, excessive stitching will not be permitted. It's one of FINA's rules. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're allowed to wear basically a textile swim skin at WTC. However, for those who are racing other events, like you know the Rotnest um, Channel Swim or under USAT rulings that are non-WTC rules, there's another set of rules, and you can still wear the old um, neoprene-based thin um, suits for, for those um, events. So if you're an elite athlete who races ITU, WTC, and USAT races domestically, you could theoretically have three different types of race oh. suit swim skins that you could wear in three different events. God forbid you take the wrong one to the wrong event. Yeah. What about um, in terms of other races like Challenge and maybe some of the European races? What, are the, what sort of rulings do they generally go by? Um, I actually don't have the Challenge rulings in front of me. I would imagine that they would... Um, be pretty similar to um to ITU, but uh, yeah, we haven't actually. Um, 
haven't actually double checked on on the, the challenge ones. You sort of presume that everyone's everyone's going to be falling into one of those. I, I, you know, I would have said that they would be the similar WTC, but then there's not exactly a lot of love between the two, <laughs> so it might not be the case. Hey, um, what, what, what's any news for Blue Seventy kind of moving forward that you want to share with the community? Um, yeah, Blue Seventy is tracking along. I mean, we've got a lot of product in the last two years has come out onto the market, so it's been pretty pretty mental period for us. We've had uh, so many um, new products with uh, Tri-Gear um, and then the changes to the swim rules. Uh, I guess the biggest thing for, for us is it's, it's 212, so there's an Olympic year. We'll have some new products that will be released during the year that are specifically designed for some of those Olympic athletes. Um, we've got new wetsuit line, new tri-apparel lines, and a new swim skin, a new swim line for the pool. So it's been a pretty nuts um, year of development for us. So yeah, watch out for the for the new product lines. Is probably what I could uh, say to people out there. And watch out for Bevan and John running through Kona again. Uh, blue seventy wetsuits in the uh, thousands watching. Thousands watching. Thousands. And, yeah, I've heard a few rumours that that was that was all good. Yeah, people, people like that. Okay, we, I can remember trying to sell wetsuits in Kona in like two thousand and three. It's probably the worst place I've ever had to try and sell a wetsuit to someone. <laughs> Um, but, but if you guys had been running along in them, I'm sure that would have been a different... Uh, you would have sold out. Yeah, I would have sold out immediately. Yeah. Evan will be happy to stand in the expo uh, modelling a wetsuit. He's into his modelling for a couple of hours each day. Uh, yeah, I'll do it for free, you know, just because I love you guys awesome. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can see, um, we could do a study to see uh, at what point someone passes out in Kona after wearing a wetsuit and dehydrating. Or <laughs> That's yeah. right. Publish the results on uh, Podtop. <laughs> On the podcast, <laughs> awesome, Steve. Well, um, thanks very much for sharing some stuff on uh, on some of the sort of the ins and outs of wetsuits. There's a lot of complicated stuff there, especially around the the rulings for when and when you can't wear them. And um, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the time. What do you think, John Boo? Oh, sensational. Oh, really? Why? Yeah. Um, Steve's just a, a, a fountain of knowledge, but one fountain, thing, one, fountain. One he thing, just sprays it out. One thing he wasn't sure of, and then he popped me an email later. He sort of checked out like the challenge rules, and he couldn't really find any consistency across the challenge series. Like it was often governed by the national body. So if okay. you go and do challenge Wanaka, it's probably going to be Z. If you go to challenge Road, it's probably going to be Germany rules. Um, so just got to check things out. But I guess it's the the, the, the time, and you've got to know your stuff is when you're going to non-wetsuit swims or swims where it's going to be sort of borderline yep that's sort of the key time to, to figure out what what your options are okay well let's put some more music on website of the week that was a yawning website of the week from John there oh, what's happening there mate you're a bit tired are you I am I woke up at 4 o'clock and my back was killing me I couldn't go back to sleep I can feel you empathising <laughs> with me David, David Hannaford so what's he sent through here Jumbo? he sent through I'm not sure when he sent it through because um, sometimes we don't get dates on this um, stuff but he sent through the 7 and 7 it's been and dusted uh, he says he loves listening, listening to the show great distraction while I enjoy boring days at work dreaming of training and he just sent through a link it was basically a fundraising effort some guys did and uh, basically the guys that organise all the new forest events in the UK 
they went through and in a week they did all their events. They've got a, a whole series of half Ironmans. Um, oh, so they just did them as a bit of a fundraiser, did they? Yeah, but they did them in se- seven days and it was a pretty pretty solid wow. effort if you look at the website. Um, and he said Richard Isles, who's one of the... Great last name. The new... It's just spelled it differently though. One of the Sounds new forest same. race teams and the mastermind behind the tough events they put on. They're including the forest man that's just undertaken all of the events they put on in just one week. Um, he did that with three others and and they were all done in ridiculously quick times. Um, all of their efforts were in aid of charity, and they're still looking for donations. So I did go on there, and it's still still up there. So if you want to support a cause, the guys the, they have done and dusted their events, but it's um, it's a good cause, and it's a bloody good challenge to do se- back up seven days in a row and do seven pretty solid uh, solid triathlons and down in the New Forest challenging courses as well. well what's really interesting, so they basically they went kind of half 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 Olympic Olympic sprint. Then Iron Man. Nice. That was kind of the distance they did. But what I think is all together in the seven days, they did 13 k's of 13 and a half k's of swimming, um, 583 k's of biking. Is miles or k's? k's? K's. And then they did 139 k's of running. But what would be really interesting as a race director to do this. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, to give you insight into your own courses and stuff. Like you can drive courses and stuff, but to actually go and do all the races that they have, mm. you, know, you know, like I know it's not race day, so you're not going to have the race day experience, but just to get some insight on the courses would be pretty fascinating, wouldn't it? Oh, totally. Every race director should have um, a couple of athletes as key advisors, a couple of experienced athletes that can go and test those courses full on and uh, find out all the ins and outs of it. Well, what we're looking for here is we can't just give Richard Isles some love. We're also going to give Tim Harris, Steve Bailey, and Kev James because they were the four. Nice. Love you, boys, so if you because want it, that is awesome. If, you want it, if you're feeling generous and want to support a good cause, um, just we'll have a link up on our site. Go on there and support them. And uh, we're a bit thin on websites. So if you guys, any of you guys have got any good websites that you, that you like, that you think other listeners would enjoy as well, flick them through to us And because uh, over winter time we do – or over – North, Northern Hemisphere wintertime, our summertime, our content is a bit thin. It's a bit thin on the ice, John. Okay, yes. then, well, let's check out our next sponsor. Our next, oh, wait a second. Oh, they, no, they went age group of the week. They just went of the week. Our next sponsor is Athlinks.com. Last week I said on Athlinks that they've got their new thing, the... Um, oh, so you're interested to see how accurate it was. Yes. Oh, my page is going all funny. So we had... Um, so we had... So we've got the new... Predict your, predict your placing wheel, isn't yep. it? And uh, so we, last RP, week we talked RPI. about some athletes. RPI, we talked about some athletes, and we kind of said, well, let's see next week to see if athletes were that accurate. Mark Geogagan, Geogagan um, he's 48 from Honolulu. I think we met Mark. I think he was one of the guys that ran Albert Down. In, oh, he's, yes. He's 48. He was a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, when we were having the dinner, eh? Yeah, and he's, yeah. Uh, I guess, because he's an Aussie, but he's um, living in Honolulu. So. His RPI was 4.7%, uh, so he was expected to be in the top 4.7%. And his age group. And his age group. His PR is 9.23, and his average is 10.06. So when I went on and actually looked at the results, he he won his age group. Oh, wow. Um, so he got in that 4.7. Yeah, he swam 102, rode 4.57, and ran 3.07 for a 9.14. So not wow. a, he won his age group, plus he did a... He PR'd by nine minutes. Yeah, so nice wow. work. Um, so... The index there was correct for Mark. Next down, I think I had uh, Nick Baldwin. Nick Baldwin, and he also won his age group in nine ten. He was predicted to be in the top six point eight percent of his age group, and his PR, PB is nine thirty one. Well, he, so he well, crushed he crushed that twenty one minute PB, but he was aiming for an eight fifty nine fifty nine. So he didn't quite get his, his target time, but okay. certainly finished inside the percentage. Only twenty three. Yes, nice. Uh, Richard Houghton. Um, 
he finished uh, 69th out of 228. Yep. And... He was well inside, but again, he was uh, targeting 11.15, his PB was 11.54, and he did 11.28. So, so he got a PB, but... PB, but not quite the, the, the dream A goal time, so nice work by, by him. And then finally we had Andrew Roberts, who finished 148th in his age group, and he did 13.22, and he was hoping to go fourteen. He was hoping to go fourteen. So he didn't have he didn't have an RPI score because he hadn't. This, it looked like it was his first iron distance race, but he came in thirty eight minutes under his estimated time. So nice work, Andrew. So um, it seems that most of the athletes in this particular example perform better than their RPI score. So uh, I actually think if you want to have a good race, you need to put it in here because it's guaranteed you're going to get a PB. Yes. Yep. I just I'm just saying because everyone got a PB. They did. So the key to getting a PB, don't worry even about training, John. Mm-hmm. Just go on Athlinks, put this in here, find out what your P- RPI is, mm-hmm. and just turn up to the race and get a PB. Exactly. So you're wrong. So well done, the guys who are racing, and it's just another little fun thing. This RPI score um, and a bit of a predictor on where you'll finish in your age group. You can uh, get on Athlinks. You just need to put on put this race, add it to your calendar, and it'll automatically um, race put, it? put you up on the list. It was um, Sun Smart Ironman Western Australia. Oh, okay, great. Yep. Uh, so just another little innovation that Athlinks have been doing. So okay, John. Get your results up. Questions and answers. answers. Mike Hood has a question here, and you've got a lot of answers. Training for Ottawa in Ironman Canada and have been hitting the hills at nearby some park. Uh, here are some pretty good climbs on a route. This route, and I've been experiencing them in and out of the saddle to see if I notice any difference. My question is, is there any specific times you recommend getting out of the saddles and climbs? How about technique? I normally try to find a gear that works and just grind it out from the back of my seat, but thought there is probably some science behind it that Coach John Newsom could help with. Yeah, I think the first, one point you made there is um, getting on the back of your seat is good, getting your weight a little bit further back. Um, it's, a, it's a better position. When you say grind it out, it kind of just, grinding it out is a, a term, I don't know, if you're pushing a really big gear, probably not the best idea. Um, but in terms of if you mean grinding out, just sitting there and just staying in your saddle and just getting to the top, then that's not a bad strategy. I guess the thing is we've got to give this a little bit of context, whether we're talking about Ironman or whether we're talking about bike racing or whatever. So we're going to try to say, right, we're going to talk about Ironman racing because if you're doing a bike race or if you're doing a short course race, you probably have a slightly different strategy. Um, for Ironman racing, um, you know, if we, if we recall back when we spoke to Hunter Hunter Allen about the, your power output, really what you're looking for in an Ironman, um, for the most part, is to have a nice even power output. Um, so generally, that's going to mean staying in your seat. Um, if you start jumping out of your seat, um, you're going to be working, generally your power output's going to be higher and you're going to start having a lot more spikes and that's going to start coming back and biting you, biting you in the bum later in the race. Um, but the, the, I guess the one caveat with this is sometimes with really small hills or, or, or little down and ups, um, whilst getting out of the seat and actually cranking over that hill is going to just take that little bit of extra power the amount of time you save by doing that is going to be greater than what you'd probably lose later on. So yep. if it's a really small, short hill, you're carrying momentum into it, I don't think you really want to be attacking it full gusto like a really hard effort. But if you can get over there without too much of a power spike, you generally want to do that. And for short hills, often you're not going to be looking at your power meter anyway. Yep. Um, but the one thing I would say about out-of-the-seat 
um, riding is uh, you don't want to be glued to your seat the whole way um, because if you do get out of your seat on a reasonably regular basis, uh, it just helps stretch out your back a bit, um, helps you use some slightly different muscle groups. So when you go to the seat, doesn't automatically mean you've got to put in, put in more effort. If you're on a course, say like an Ironman New Zealand, that's relatively flat but has got some hills, getting out of the seat when you're climbing on those hills is a good thing um, yeah. because it does give you that variability in position. Yeah. So for the most part... Um, uh, I would say staying in your seat. I have written a lot here, haven't I? Yeah, you've got a whole book um, here, mate. So just a couple of points that I've put down here in terms of your out of your uh, when you do get out of your seat, it does require more energy, and therefore um, you know, when you're doing that, you're gen- generally generating more power and speed. Um, you, when the times when you want to get out of the seat is when it does start to get um, really steep. But I guess the, the, the one, again, caveat with that is... Uh, if it's a long, long, steep climb, if you're doing a really, really challenging um, challenging course, if you get out of your seat early in that climb, um, you can often end up running out of gears a bit. So if uh, course knowledge is important. So if you're on a long, steep climb, I would generally say you want to be staying in your seat um, as much as you can on the lower parts of the slope, and you then start to get out of your seat a bit more at the top, and that'll give you that sort of variability of position and it'll probably run less risk of getting out of your um, uh, running out of gears oh, you can. Um, one thing that I see a lot of um, people not doing is as I said running out of gears one thing I like to do is uh, when I know I'm going to get out of the seat and if, as long as I'm not on an extremely uh, steep gradient I'll generally um, click it into one bigger gear when I go out of the seat. So just before I stand up, I'll click it into a slightly harder gear and then uh, I'll be out of the seat and then when I come back down to sitting, then I can click it back into that slightly easier gear because often what you find, if you jump out of the seat, you climb away and if you're in your smallest gear, then when you go back to sit down, um, you actually often find it a lot harder. So if you just have that little bit of a gear change, it makes it um, easier to get your rhythm back. So one thing that I teach with our kids program, and, and, and I'm quite, um, I don't know, passionate's probably not the right word, but, but He's a passionate is, character. Is, to, is to teach them how to learn to rock their bike. Because what you see with a lot of newbies when they're climbing, they get out of their seat and, and, and their, their bike stays vertical and their body sort of rocks all over the place and they look very unbalanced, look like they're going to fall off their, their bike. And they're not getting the most out of themselves in terms of power output because they're not rocking the bike. So when you do rock the bike from side to side, you're able to get a lot more balance, so your power transfer is a lot is a lot better. So practice that on the flat, and by rocking your bike basically means your body stays pretty much up and down, but your bike sort of goes from side to side. Yeah. Um, and audio is a hard way to describe this, but if you, if you look at any good good cyclist, you'll sort of see what, what we mean from that. And as I said, that allows you to get better balance, so you're able to transfer the power, so you're going to climb a little bit better. And to be honest, I think the thing about coming out of the saddle is that for a lot of people, they come out of the saddle because they're getting fatigued, and so it's the, you know they come out of the saddle as a way of recovery, but in doing that, they go really to bad technique, and so you really want to focus on good technique. If you're going to come out of the saddle, there still needs to be the purpose of getting up the hill as fast as possible, that it's not just a recovery. And, you know, like, there will be some different you know that change in position will allow some recovery to happen but you also want to stay focused on maintaining good riding techniques so that you're not losing time because you're standing up yep um when you're staying seated um really important to try to keep um a straight back stay relaxed you don't want to be um you know really taut like a piece of cardboard um as you're 
go into the climb. Uh, again, you see some people going from the uh, a medium sort of gear and going straight into their smallest gear. Um, just work your way through your gears and just try to keep a nice rhythm through the bottom part of their climb rather than automatically going to your easiest gear you've got. Um, another big thing that I find a lot of people benefit from is actually ha- um, having their knuckles forward and sort of holding the top part of your handlebar. Yep. Sometimes you see people riding up and holding onto their their brake hoods. Um, you just find that you once you get used to it, having your knuckles forward um, is just a much easier, more relaxed position to be in. Uh, so knuckles forward on the top of your bars. Um, some people have some issues with that um, if the aero bars are on there, if they've got clip-ons. Um, so there's sometimes a few issues. Of course, strengthening is really important for this one as well mm. because a lot of upper body movement, you watch a, a non-experienced rider. And the problem is you look at the Tour de France guys and, and you watch them at the end of the ride and they're kind of humping the bike, but that's because mm. they're in their total fatigue yeah. state. But if they're not fatigued, you watch them, they're actually quite smooth and still in their upper body. And to be honest, the upper body's not really giving you much speed as you're going up the hill. And so if you just be aware of what your body's doing. And a good trick there is to watch your shadow. So if you're in a sunny day and you've got a shadow beside you, you see what your body is doing. And if you're actually bouncing a lot, try to eliminate that because some of that will come from awareness and some of that will come from good core strengthening mm. so um so there's a few tips on, on out of the seat and seated i guess that the other thing with this you really do need to develop your own style everybody's a little bit different um you know when, when i went for a ride with hal towel over in um france you know he'd ride uh, a mount, every mountain the whole mountain you know 16 20 k's out of a seat really um, wow so I would argue that's not necessarily the most efficient way to climb. But, but he blitzed you up the mountain. It did, and, and, it, and it works for him. So you do need to just develop. And it is style. how you train yourself. You know, like, you know, when I started, my coach, when I first started, he just always sit down the hill. So I just didn't know what I was doing. So I just always yeah. sat down. And so for me, I just sat down a lot on the hills and just held that position for a long period of time. And that's right. If you're going to get out of your seat, if you've got poor technique, you're probably not going to get the advantages of it. So you do need to really practice that rocking of the bike. When you see good Good riders come past you. Um, watch what they do when they get out of the seat and try to emulate that. And uh, you know, I guess the main thing is, is um, generally when you get out of your seat, you're going to be put, putting out more power, using up more energy. And as I said, overall, if you're racing in an Ironman uh, situation, you want to be trying to keep that power out, but relatively even. It is going to obviously go up when you go up climbs, but we want to avoid those really big spikes unless it's a really short hill. There's sometimes the opportunity there to, to push it, but if you if you've got a power meter, go back, listen to the Hunter Allen interview. We sort of talked about this in, in quite a bit of detail as well. Okay, then we've got Kendall Gray coming through, and he's basically saying he's not getting any younger, John, 44 years old, which yes. is, is mid-range. Yes. Mid-range. You've still got half your life in front of you. Yeah, exactly. You know, probably more than half your life. Yeah. He's just starting to notice a bit of difference in his ability to plough through the end of training plan. And he's basically wondering, the big question he's really coming at is, is how do you incorporate more recovery into your session so that you can hit your next sessions effectively and actually have quality sessions and whether you should be training uh, changing the, the training that you do as, as, you, as you do get older yep. um, and I certainly wouldn't say 44 is uh, old is, no. is, is old old so, um, but then again if we talk about athletic age mm. you know if he's been an athlete from 20 yep. so it's, it, it obviously it varies massively um, as to how tired you get from training um, how well you can execute a, a long plan but I think the first thing you should do is rather than just looking at your training is actually look at all the other things that influence your training, um, your sleep, your recovery, your nutrition. Rather than trying to train less and think oh, I've got to go a little bit easier, I've got to go, got to go do a little bit less because I'm getting, um, getting older, I would say if you can focus on those three things, sleep, recovery, and nutrition, try to get them as 
dialed in as you possibly can and uh, and see what impact that makes because ideally we don't want you to be doing less training. Um, how hard you train, that's going to vary so much from person to person. Mm. So it's quite hard to answer that. But I'd say first, before you even look at any training, go sleep, recovery, nutrition. And if you can improve in any of those areas, this problem may well be eliminated. You might just get that spark back and feel a lot better in, in training. Um, as a few general, generalised rules, if you are struggling a bit, um, I would say for most people, having a complete day off each week is uh, is really important. Sometimes I say that to people and they look at me like I'm mental. Um, you know what I think that is, but it's, I think it's that whole esteem based on exercises thing. Mm. You know, like people struggle. Like I had my runners do a half marathon this week, or last weekend, and <clears throat> excuse me, and we were talking, you know, the week before, I'm talking to them about the taper and stuff, and so many of them are struggling to have days off or, or to have easier days, and, you know, it's so important for their race performance. But sometimes, you know, so, so many of us get esteem from exercise, so that to have a day off means we're losing ourselves, and I think that has something to do with it. And, and the whole more is better sort of thing. Yeah. It? So I would strongly, if, if you're somebody that uh, does feel like you're, you're flat in training and you, you fail to get that spark, have a, have a day off each week. And then one thing that I really try to work a lot of my athletes with is, is every you know, third or fourth week, especially those with family, is making sure you have at least one of your weekend days off. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think just having a day where you're not working, where you can just chill out uh, is really important. Having a day off during the week on a regular basis, I think, is, is good, but you don't get that opportunity to fully relax and do stuff with your, with your partner. So that's very important. <laughs> we had to stop because the power went, and we're trying to merge it so you guys wouldn't know as a poor effort, John. Yeah, well, that's get, very get, important. Get I've lost my train of thought now. Okay. Um, now he's got the small text going as well. Oh, well it's because I'm not blind, John. I went and did my driving test the other day. Oh, how'd you go? I was not driving test, I had to do my sight test. It's a little bit scary how bad your eyes can get. Really? Because <laughs> like, I went to the optometrist because yeah, it's easier to get them to do it than it is to, to go and do it at the, the testing centre. Why? Um, it's just nice and quick. You just go in there and it's... Okay, yeah, easier. Yeah, easier. Yep. Anyway, and um, she just said, I'll oh, read the lowest sign you can do and... Um, and I, I did the one I could do. She said, oh, that's okay. You're actually two lines below what you needed to be doing. I looked at the ones that it was the minimum standard, and it was pretty big. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's obviously some pretty blind people out there that don't need glasses when they drive. Mm, but scary. Yes. Um, so where was I? I was sort of saying about this, having the day off training um, completely, um, have, making sure every doing that every third or fourth weekend. And then um, I guess the other thing is, is to look at your intensity. Um, you know, I think who was the guy we talked to in Kona? Um, Matt Dixon. Yep. You know, um, I'm of the same sort of belief of, of, as him that you do need a bit in every zone. Um, so you do, you know, for Ironman athletes, yes, endurance is critical, but you do need a bit of harder work, um, plenty of steady work. Um, but Ironman athletes don't need a ridiculous amount of hard work. Um, so I'd say, especially in your main part of your build up, so, so look at that. And then if you are finding that you're struggling towards the end of your build-up, you know, having, having a look at the length of that build-up. So if you're doing a 20-week build-up to, to an Ironman, it's quite a long period, so maybe look at reducing that and, and spicing what you do prior to that main race build-up. Just spice that up a little bit, maybe with a bit of a bike focus or a bit of a run focus, so you carry that into your main part of your build-up, because I think that some people do get a bit stale towards the end of their Ironman build-up. So I think first thing you want to do, 
is uh, you, you take home points, Bevan? Or you, is that what we're yeah, yeah, we'll take, home. Ta- take home yep. points. I'm at home already, but it's okay. Good. Uh, look at your, your other things outside of training, so your sleep, recovery, nutrition. Um, take a complete day off each week, and then every third or fourth week, make sure that that's on a weekend day. If you're, if you're doing a huge amount of high-intensity work, then um, for Ironman athletes, maybe just look at dialing that down and doing a bit more aerobic sort of Ironman pace work. And then if you're struggling with motivation towards the end of a build-up, um, have a look at how long that build-up might be. I think there's a couple of things you need to add to this as well. Is I think you need to think about your week as a whole and to sit down to a weekly planning each Sunday or something like that to actually look at your training and, and think about the objectives of each session. And, and I think <clears throat> one thing we need to think of as, as well as going, on going with this is that whole big picture thing is if you look at your week <clears throat> and you go, okay, well, I've got an A, B, and C session, and you know these are the key sessions where I have to hit intensity, or you know I need to be at my best. And these sessions are more just getting out the door and doing something. Then to actually plan your week based around when you know you're going to be more mentally ready to do that. Mm-hmm. So let's say you know you've got a session where you have to do an hour run with some really hard intervals in it, and it's going to be you know the hardest run that you're going to do that week. And you plan that on a Wednesday, and but you do it on a Wednesday where you know you're going to be really busy at work, you're going to be you know, mm-hmm. kid commitment, family commitment, and so you'll get out, you'll be mentally fatigued and pretty physically tired, so you'll get to that session, and you might tick the box and go out and do the hour, but you won't do it to the to the degree you need to do it. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, you know, you sit down, you think about the quality of the sessions, also think about where to, should you place them in your week, based on when you know you'll be ready for what's required of that session. So if you know that you've got a really hard session coming up, what day is the best day for you to make sure you actually make that happen? And then when, you know, if there's an easier session, what day is the best day to put that in where you know that your life's going to be more of a commitment? In, in most circumstances, people are going to get their better session in the morning session because they haven't had their full day of commitments to, to wipe them out. A little bit different from person to person, but in my experience, most people are in that sort of boat. Okay, John, well, the mountain snail sent through, he said, you've got to read this guy. This guy's a legend. Yes. Yeah, from the sun.co.uk in, in the UK. Oh, Tim. And then I said, well, it doesn't matter. Tim Heming's a listener of the show, um, John. So, so mountain snail, so Tim Heming, you're getting lots of love from the listeners about the work you're doing. They didn't even know you listened to the show. That was really good. Apparently he's got a good uh, Chrissy interview or something up there, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Okay, and then we've got um, Fleck. Has that one, Zakoff? I've got, I've got that saved for, uh, for a discussion of the week coming up. Oh, really? Unless you want to do it now. Well, I thought, well, because, okay, we're doing a discussion of the week. Yeah, but not now, but I've got okay. it. It's on my discussion of the week file. Okay, and then there's this one of a Peter Skeleton sent through an email saying he's gone back and listened to some of the old shows, yes. and he's saying how Chrissy, we hadn't even talked about Chrissy leading into Kona in the year, what year was it? It was 2007, Chrissy right. Wellington meant nothing. Oh, we no. slightly mentioned her after Outdoors, but she's nobody. 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 Now look at it, eh? Nobody. So that was kind of funny. Well, to she only qualified, when the, when the first year she won Kona, she only qualified in Ironman, their now defunct Ironman career, which was only, yeah, it was like, I think it was probably in like August or something. Yeah. So it's not like, I don't think anybody was really picking her, <laughs> except the people that trained her. No, I think we had mentioned, or people probably tell us more than we know because he's listened to it right now, yeah. but I think we may have mentioned that she had you know, a pretty good season up to this point, but they're all kind of B-grade races, weren't they? I don't reckon we mentioned it. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I picked it away. If I, I look back. Okay, sponsors are? Athlinks.com. <laughs> uh, check it out for to see how well you're going to do in the race. PBs, John. Coffeesofhawaii.com. Get the gifts for Christmas. Your little spoon measuring spoon <clears throat> thingy. Nice. And extreme endurance. Hey, and if the pros are doing it, you should, you should be, be doing, doing it. it. There we go. Let's you sell a product, John. Okay, we didn't even say this. If you want to email us, email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Do you want to say it again so people get it? Iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I must say, 
Um, our new show, Legends of Triathlon. So we had Spencer Smith on, and we know a lot of you guys have probably listened to it, but a lot of you probably haven't listened to it as well. So if you want to check it out, it's a really, really great interview, eh? And if you want to get a blue 70 wetsuit, it's up there. It's still on auction. Be for maybe have we had one any more or two bids? more days. Our first bid was pretty high. It's good. Four hundred. It's four hundred fifty US is still a bargain for a blue 70 wetsuit. Is it really? Yeah, they're like six fifty retail US. US. Oh, so really? Getting it way below retail. Okay. Um. So so get 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 on that. Get get, get on it. And it's only going to go for a couple more days. So, and yeah, we've got a but check out the show and spread the word because yeah. we, we we really want to make this show something that's pretty special and something that uh, it's good for the community and sh- you know the stories of our sport will not get lost because we'll have the show and and I think as time goes on that's a really important thing so um, go on there put some feedback on iTunes tell your friends subscribe to it and the more people listening to it the better okay John what you got the House Travel Triathlon Festival's coming up Woo-hoo! this weekend excited. It's going to be good. Got more entries than last year, so we're happy with that. Good. And uh, it's all shaping quite nicely. What about the pro race or the, or the it's elite? It's going to be uh, interesting. So, we, you know, we don't have the big – well, we, don't, we do have some big, big hitters. We've got, so we've got Nikki Samuels who's racing. She's nice. um, won World Cup races. and uh, She got second o- last year. Odds on to probably make the Olympic team. Um, Is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then we've got another girl, Rebecca Kingsford, who's one of um, – she's – She'll be, she'll be right up there as well. She's probably giving her a bit of a challenge. But what's going to be interesting, it's a double super sprint handicap race. So the girls are going to have, uh, it's either going to be 4 minutes 45, maybe 5 minute head start on the guys. Yep. 350 metre swim, 10k bike, 2.5k run. 350 metre swim, 10k bike, 2.5k run. Yep. So they've got to hold off the, the guys. So Nikki was second last year and she was about 5 minutes in front of the best guy that's racing again this year. So How do you do this, John? Because it's pretty hard, you know, the handicap... It's easy. I just look at last year's results and just work it off that. Are you going to do it off that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So last year she was, I think, it's a slightly longer this year. They do an extra 5K on the bike and it's slightly longer in the swim. So I think she was like 4.30 behind Tom Davison, who was third last year and he's the highest placed guy racing. So I'm just going to round it up to either 4.45 or 5 minutes. I want to give the girls. I want to give the make the guys work really hard yeah. to do it. To, to but it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you also don't want to give it to the girls. No, no. Um, but Nikki's the type of girl who could, if she cranks it on the bike, she can and just she's it's funny as well because you don't really have the advantage of the draft and the swim that way, do you? No, well, it's 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 going to be quite tactical because the guys will stay together fairly well. Um, but you know there'll be little gaps after that first run, and uh, whether they want to work as a team or whether they just want to go solo on the run. So what's the what's the distances? Uh, if I, I just said them a few, if I wasn't listening. listening. What was it? 350 meters swim, and so the guys will stay together on that. Um, a number of them will. It'll be a group of some description. But it's a sprint, isn't it? Yeah, 10 yeah. k bike, um, which you know there'll be there'll be a group of between two and eight, I'd imagine, on the yep. bike, um, and then a two and a half k run. The two and a half k run, it will definitely spread out. There's quite a bit of variance in, in the running, but it may only be you know spread. 20 seconds yeah but 20 seconds you, you know you're not on the, you're not on the same well Nikki have any girls that she can work because she's such a strong cyclist isn't she Potenti- so- yeah potentially Rebecca Kingswood is the only the only girl that could stay well there's a couple of Dutch girls racing yeah. they, they race on the World Cup circuits so um, it's not a big uh, a big elite field like we'll probably have about um, I don't know 25 maybe or so yeah. 25 to 30 girls and guys max um, but last year that was similar to last year and it was pretty entertaining and what's going to be interesting though is to see transitions going from from first run yeah, diving into water, that water yeah. and uh, and that will, will test a few people so it should be good and then we've got all the other races kids race and uh 
age group race. You're a busy man on that day, aren't you? Yep, have around about five. From one, one organising star, organised star, organised star. Have sort of 500, 550 people racing, <coughs> so it should be good times. It's on like Donkey DJ, Kong. DJ, BJ. And, I'm in uh, the house. We don't have MC Ken. We've got MC... Um, I miss, I'll miss MC Ken. You'll miss MC Ken. Yeah, he's But sharp. MC Cam. MC Cam. MC Cam or... And DJ BJ. Yeah, we'll come up with a better name for Cam. But, uh, Cam Tam. Camp Drop the Hammer Man or something, I don't know. Yeah, we'll do. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all good. Bevan, what's been happening in your world? Well, I had my race team up in um, Marlborough last weekend, which is really cool. We went to a winery for dinner. We went to the Hunter's Winery. Right. Oh, I highly recommend going to that place. Okay, nice. <laughs> it was all good in the hood. They did, a, they did a smorgasbord barbecue thing. Smorgasbord again. That's two oh. weeks in a row, oh. I think, for you. Yeah, I know, but I've been, I've been a good boy with my eating, so I can't come worry about that. I went kind of crazy that night, but that's all good. Uh, what else has been happening, John? Well, it's kind of coming into my wind-down season of the year, which I'm actually looking forward to. Right. You know, I imagine you for your next week. Yeah, sort of. It doesn't happen. No, not really. No. <laughs> well, so we go. Wind down seasons happens pretty much. This week's a little bit quieter. Next week's a little bit quieter, and then the week before Christmas is just absolutely kind of nothing for me, which is great. I'll just I'll pile some more work on oh, you for I Iron Talks. I'm busy that day, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's actually good because I've got you know you always want to try to catch up on some things so I can get some things caught up. Joe and I bought a tent. Nice. Yeah. Belinda doesn't do camping. Yeah, what's all that about? Did you take the kids camping in the end? Well, earthquakes happen. Uh, We're going camping this year, though. You are. Mm. Don't know when, but we are. Is Belinda going to go? No. Just you and the kids? Yep. Yeah, you should take your kids camping. Belinda should go. Yep. Why doesn't she do it? Has she ever been camping? Oh, sort of, but she'd rather be in a bed. Yeah, but the year beds that is pretty great. Yeah. And what you do, we learn a trick, because often yeah, year beds can be me. cold. Well, tell her to yeah. listen to this. Belinda, listen to this. What you do, because the earbeds are awesome, but you actually put one of those silver blankets that you use for races underneath the earbed as well, so the cold doesn't get up through right. the Yeah. So you don't get cold. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. We got a two room tent, a two room John, not this. Yeah, I've got a three roomer. Have you really? Yeah. Wow, how much did that cost you? Not that much. Get get some good deals. Cool. Get it. It's not what you know, it's who you know, Bevan. Wow, I didn't know that person. I only got a two roomer. But it's a pretty good two roomer. I'm pretty happy with the two roomer. Two roomer enough to get two double beds and kind of stuff, so pretty big. And uh <clears throat> pretty excited about Joe and I bought it together. Nice. We bought lots of stuff like that. We bought a barbecue, we bought a table, we bought a tent. Life's changing, John. It is. Exciting times ahead. What else has been happening? Not much. Um, work dues this weekend. Right. Work dues. Yep. Right. So there always been a bit of goss. We're having Lone Star for us. Is it still Lone Star, is there? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one out of it. Okay. Yeah. I went to town the other day, the city centre of Christchurch. Oh, is that the first time being in? So I think it is since I've, they've reopened it. And... Uh, Pretty interesting. Pretty no, quiet. A lot of buildings <laughs> left in Christchurch. They've still got a few to go, haven't they? Oh, yeah, well, easy. Yeah, so like, but you go into the city centre of Christchurch and it's built, it's just bare sites everywhere. This is our CBD, it's just flat. What's cool is they've, they've opened up this area which has um, containers as shops. It's quite funky, mm. isn't it? It's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so other than that, John, not much is happening really. Christmas presents, what are you going to get, Belinda? We're all sorted. Have you already done it? Yeah, we bought tennis rackets the other day. We went and bought ourselves tennis rackets each. Oh, can you play tennis? Um, we're average. It's an equaliser, great equaliser. Because you're both I'm, bad? Well, we're both below average. But we, we can have a proper good hit, yep. but neither of us. Got tennis court at the park? Yeah. 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 I've only done it once. Yeah, we're on it. Yeah, I'm not very good at tennis either. Yeah. I played for a couple of years when I was a kid too. We're rambling now. This isn't interesting. Yeah, I know, but people love it. Iron <laughs> <laughs> Russ. I'm Vido. Train hard. Trust my. Kia kaha. kaha.